Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. This being the um, night of Halloween, I wanted to talk about fear. As I said, it was so cute seeing all of these kids um, dressed up and and going in hordes, you know, like like an army. Do you remember when you went trick-or-treating? Maybe you did last year or, uh, or earlier tonight. Uh, it's been a while for me. Um, and I was waiting uh, at, at my house, kind of getting my thoughts together for the talk, and has some, some treats in, for when the kids come. But um, they didn't come. Uh, it, w- it wasn't... It wasn't uh, wasn't dark enough yet. And just as I was leaving, there were like hundreds coming up the street as I got into the car. Because it's fun to see, to see those kids. And that was you, too. That was you and me, probably. Um, and it's so exciting. It's so exciting to be somebody else for the night and to maybe feel a little bit scary. Not scared, but scary. Um, and so it, it made me think of um, why we love to be scared and, and scare. Uh, there's some sweet elements to it as well as a few aspects that don't serve us so well. But um, first, acknowledging that there is some delight in being scared and the thrill. You know, we, when we say something is thrilling, you know that word? It was thrilling. There's a, you can feel the sense of excitement in being thrilled. Thrilled is different than peaceful. Thrilled is different than content. Thrilling is different than being touched. Thrilled, there's an adrenaline rush there that um, makes us come alive. If we get thrilled too much or we are looking for our thrills, cheap thrills, one of the all-time great albums, if you're old enough. (laughs) There's a Janis Joplin, Big Brother, and the Holding Company fan waving back there. Cheap thrills. How are you getting your thrills? Uh, But if we 
are looking from going from one thrill to another, um, it can get exhausting, but it's also uh, addictive in its in its own way. We get we get kind of um, connected to that heightened state of arousal, and it feels so alive that we often mistake that for real, um, for aliveness as the only way to be alive. It certainly is alive. But if we um, forget that there's other ways to be alive that have to do with peace and contentment and well-being and deep connection and stillness, um, then we are looking in one direction for aliveness. Uh, and as I say, it's, it's good to acknowledge that there is something um, exciting about it, but the gift that everybody who's come here to sit for the evening probably knows, unless you're very new to this practice, is that stillness is at least as alive as thrills. Um, and a lot more sustainable, too. Um, and in, in, the, in the, uh, the hierarchy of, um, of Buddhist states, uh, in Buddhist psychology, in different states of well-being, thrill is certainly acknowledged as a very valid state of, of pleasure whether it's rapture or bliss, keen interest in experience, joy, but it goes from that, what's called in the, the, this, the discourses, um, coarser level of well-being to more and more refined happiness, contentment, peace, equanimity, and as you're removing the coarseness and going into more and more refined states that are much more sustainable, those are actually considered um, uh, greater states of well-being. But for most of us, particularly in our culture, this culture of sound bites and intensity um, thrill is one of the main ways that we feel alive. And I am, I'm not, I, again, I'm not putting this down at, at, at you know, blanket, uh, you know, as a blanket statement, oh, thrills aren't good and, and uh, the quiet is better. The, actually, the, the basketball season opened last night. The Warriors opened last night. And for better or worse, I get excited. Uh, and I've been getting excited at football, baseball, basketball. <clears throat> baseball, it's amazing. The World Series went by and I saw like two or three innings very different than when I was growing up. I can, my, my childhood, every year, 
is, is marked in my mind by who won the World Series that year. From 1954 to 65, you know, who won the World Series. And now things change. Anyway, I do, I do like enthusiasm and excitement. And we, um, people pay to go to horror shows. I don't personally, but it's very popular, isn't it? What goes on there? To be scared out of our wits, you know, yeah, and pay good money for it. Or hearing a, a scary story. I remember when I was in camp as a kid, and, and uh, they'd, the counselor would tell, you know, the monkey's paw, or some story like, you know, and he'd put his flashlight underneath his face and, you know, whoa! And it was fun, up to a point, unless you were scared out of your wits. And I was, if you were old enough uh, to remember the old Twilight Zone, we could probably spend a a few hours remembering old Twilight Zones with enough people here. I certainly can. Every Friday at 10.30, God, and I peer back behind the, you know, the, the side of my, of my, uh, the entrance to my living room and watch the TV, you know, from afar. Why do we love it? Just think of maybe make it relevant to you. Uh, just go inside and uh, and think of times that you've enjoyed that kind of excitement. Maybe on your way up the big roller coaster ride or a play or something that puts you on the edge. Playing the edge. And if you can recall, whether it's recent or in years gone by, what's the, what's the payoff there? What does it feel like? So, you can come back. And uh, let's just first check in and see what has thrilled you or scared you in that kind of thrilling way and anything you can say about it before we carry on. Yeah, Timothy. Uh, Skiing really fast, yeah. How, How... yeah, that thrill of going, say a bit more. You say it here. Maybe, uh, uh, hold on a second, Jack. He'll bring you the, the, uh, the mic. Well, one of the, um, I like going fast in general. So there's that aspect of it. And to really do it well, you need to not think. 
You to know, really what? To do it well, you can't be thinking about it. It can't, okay, so that's one thing. You're <laughs> out of your mind. <laughs> you know? And even if it's, oh my God, am I going to live through this? It's worth it to be out of your mind for a few moments. Yeah, okay, great. Anything else? Yeah, oh, back, back there, Jackie. Uh, raise your hand. Um, besides skiing, like jumping off a high diving board or a cliff. And um, the jumping off is a little different because it's just that moment that you have to make the decision to do it. And then after that, it's, it doesn't matter whether you're thinking about it or not. <laughs> no turning back, yeah. Jumping off a cliff, yeah. <laughs> a couple of... Uh, safely. Safely, yes. A couple of years ago... Um, uh, Adam and, uh, and, and Jane and I went on a vacation and uh, Adam said there were uh, the, the planes that, you, that you, uh, you fall out of, you know, skydive with somebody on, uh, strapped to you. And Adam said he was, he was going to do it. He was like 20 or so. Um, and uh, maybe 18, 19. And then... And, Jane, for my wife, was saying, you know, is it safe or are they going to, you know, how do we know it's, it's going to be okay and all? And we checked it out and it was a reputable company. And then I said, I'm going to do it. And then she said, okay, I'll do it too. And there was this moment, you know, if you've ever done that, when you're up in the plane before you go out, there's this, moment you say, what was I thinking? <laughs> what, what, what could have possessed me to say? And then you do it? <sighs> Amazing. As much as anything, because you went beyond your fear, what you thought you couldn't do. That's the real rush. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. And, hey, that was fun. Yeah. So, jumping off a cliff. Anything else? Any others where you like to be scared or at least going for the thrill? Here's, here's a... Yeah, I um, slid down a snowbank into a, a very freezing lake at 11,000 feet in the Sierras and it was one of those situations where once you decide to start sliding there's no turning back wow so you did that consciously yes consciously. Uh-huh. that's good <laughs> wow mm-hmm. so okay we can just stop there mm. just getting excited Hearing that stuff. Mm. Thanks. So there's the, the conscious kind of playing your edge with fear. And then there's the other kind where it's not something that you are consciously choosing, but that arises all by itself. And fear as I've said here before, in, in my mind, fear mm, 
is not the enemy. We might think, uh, of course, it's not the enemy when you're going for those kind of thrills, but even when it comes up and you're not choosing it, uh, sometimes we think of fear as being you know, something um, uh, that we want to get rid of. Or that if I was really courageous, brave, I wouldn't have this fear. But fear is part of being human. And it is actually uh, often a very important signal, like wake up, pay attention here, there might be some danger. Or it also can be a signal that you are playing your edge, as it says, that you are moving out of your comfort zone. Anytime you're going from the familiar and the known and the comfortable to the unknown, the unfamiliar, then unless you're a very adventurous type, um, even then, if there's the the thrill, if you go for the thrill, you're going to have a little bit of anxiety. But for most people, whenever we're moving into something new, into new territory, there is some anxiety or some fear of some question, I wonder how this is going to turn out. There's not the safety net of the familiar territory. And in that sense, fear is a kind of, as I've shared it before here, a kind of scout from the known to the unknown, from the familiar to the unfamiliar. And so in that way, fear can be an ally. Fear can be a, a kind of signal that you're stretching yourself, or as, as Jack Cornfield says, fear is really saying, about to grow. And if you see it that way, where it doesn't have to be the enemy or a problem, but something, the next, the next way that, you are, um, that you're stretching yourself, there's tremendous gifts that come from that challenging of ourselves. Whether it's jumping off a cliff or going up on the roller coaster or uh, doing something that, um, that's beyond your, your usual territory. Because when you actually make it through and you're able to, if you do, survive then you see, oh my goodness, wow, I survived. Holy smoke, I didn't think I would survive. I did. Wow. And you find a, a courage and a confidence and a, a sense of, of capacity that you wouldn't have known if fear didn't challenge you. Here's a a few quotes from fear I thought we'd, uh, about fear. I thought I'd share a few words of wisdom besides what I might come up with or you might. <clears throat> Rosa Parks. I've learned over the years 
that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. That's, I, I really love that quote. When one's mind is made up, when there's enough clarity and standing in your truth, the, the force of standing in your truth, what in, in Gandhi called satyagraha, the, the truth force is a protection against fear. And fear invites us to find that place of truth in us. And when we do, it's unshakable, there's an alignment, there's a strength. Rosa Parks. This is Krishnamurti. What is needed, rather than running away or controlling or suppressing or any other resistance is understanding fear. That means watch it, learn about it, come directly into contact with it. We are to learn about fear, not how to escape it. So this is another piece that we can sometimes get lost in thinking, oh, I've got to get out of this fear. But actually when it's here and you have been practicing, and this is one of the gifts of practice, that you can explore the texture of fear mindfully with compassion, with wisdom, with kindness. Oh, this is what fear is like. Then... That's the way through, rather than around. You don't have to get rid of the fear. Get to know it so well, so that it becomes an ally. And of course, it's important to know how much you can take at any one time. You don't want to go in over your head and traumatize yourself. But to do a little bit at a time, to touch fear, and then resource yourself. Ah, well, okay, still around, still alive. Okay, and then touch it again, a little at a time. I gave a talk earlier this year, uh, you might remember, called Titrating Our Dukkha, to just touch it a little at a time and see, like you're, you're lifting up f- five or ten pound uh, dumbbells before you lift a 50-pound or 100-pound barbell a little at a time. And to get to know that fear, you become more and more familiar with it. Marianne Williamson, love is what we were born for. Fear is what we've learned here. Our natural state is love. And certainly we are survival species that are focusing on survival. So there's naturally fear anytime there's danger. But the, the extra fear that gets in the way 
is uh, when it runs the show, it cuts off our love. And one of my favorite book titles of all time is the Jerry Jampolsky book, Love is Letting Go of Fear. Because what you have left when fear is not running the show is uh, an open-hearted connection to reality. Fear is static that prevents me from hearing myself. Samuel Butler. Fear is static that prevents me from hearing myself. That when the mind is shaken and confused, you can't hear that deeper place of wisdom. So fear can, again, be an invitation to say, okay, what's really true in here? Mm. Disraeli, fear makes us feel our humanity because every one of us knows fear. If somebody says, I don't get afraid, then they're either fully enlightened or in denial, one way or the other. Sophocles, to him who is in fear, everything rustles. To him, to one who is in fear, everything rustles. It's a, I, I really like that one, you know, because there you are if your amygdala is going overtime and you're wondering where's the danger, where's the next thing, you know. Your vigilance is on high alert all the time. What, um, what an unfortunate way to go through life, to be constantly vigilant. It's good to take care of business. Trust in Allah. Tie your camel to the post, as the the Sufi saying goes. But to live live in that state of high alert, uh, everything rustles because then you have your your radar out for what could go wrong, and in that state, you miss what's going right. How can you see it? You can't see it. We have a confirmation bias that the brain just selects what, can, what it's looking for. To him who is in fear, everything rustles. And Andre Gide, there are few, very few monsters who warrant the fear we have of them. There are very few monsters who warrant the fear we have of them. Isn't that the way it works? I mean, that's the thing about fear. It's mostly in our minds. Not all the time, but mostly we can paint the most terrifying scenarios and nobody knows how to paint the scenario that would frighten us as much as our own mind. How could it? Because we know the very thing that we're scared stiff of. Oh, what if that happens? And there we are thinking, oh, if this happens, I don't know if I'll make it. And so the very thing that we're afraid of, we then start painting and creating. And we frighten ourselves. You know that 
that, uh, that metaphor of the, the guy who go out, goes out and paints uh, a realistic tiger so lifelike on a cave wall that when he finishes, he looks up and he throws up his palette and his brush and runs away. That's what we do. We paint these tigers in our mind, in our heart, and then frighten ourselves. Isn't it amazing how we do that? Or in our, in our um, creating scenarios, we actually bring them about. I hope this doesn't happen. Please don't make it happen. Please let me avoid that. And then it happens. I, I've, I shared the story, I don't know how recently I've shared it in here, that, uh, about when I was a kid and learning to, to ride a bicycle when I was very young. Did I share, I shared this recently? And I, when I was about, oh, six or seven, I, uh, I was learning to ride a bike and my father was teaching me on, uh, uh, and it was the, finally the exciting moment on one Sunday morning, early in the morning, and there was nobody around in our neighborhood, or so I thought. And it was that moment where the training wheels get off, or taken off, and I'm on my own, but I hadn't quite mastered braking at that point, which is a very important thing when you're learning bike uh, or learning to ride a bike. And there I was on my on the block, nobody around. But as I'm going, he said, "There you go, okay." And mm, way in the distance, as I kept on going. I start seeing a group of some people. And then I get a little closer and it's some uh, adults uh, and a baby carriage. And my mind immediately went to, don't hit the baby carriage. My God, please don't hit the baby carriage. It was like radar. I hit the baby carriage. I sometimes wonder, I hope that child is, you know, has full healthy development. Yeah. It was traumatic. I didn't ride a bike for a couple of years, actually. But it was su- such a, a metaphor for how fear works. Because it just, I, there was, it was the only thing in my world was that baby carriage. I, even if I, you know, if there was Mount Everest uh, on the next block, I wouldn't have noticed it because it's just that. And that's often what we do with fear. And we create these scary scenarios and then out of our being out of rhythm with ourselves, we, uh, we tend to... Um, get into uh, disequilibrium. So, here we are looking at fear and realizing that it's just part of being human and how can we work with it? How can we use it 
so that we hold it wisely. Mm. And I, I'd like, I think, for a little while to have us reflect and you uh, explore within, uh, on your own, uh, and then we'll come back as a group. Uh, just a little reflection. Close your eyes for a moment. And uh, just ask yourself, um, how do you scare yourself? Or how does fear get activated in you? But particularly if there's a, a situation where you tend to get activated, where fear tends to get activated, just um, reflect on on that situation. And then, in your wisest moments, your wisest moments, how do you work with it? How do you come into connection? How do you hold that mind state and that heart state? And what can you Remind yourself when you're going through this kind of fear or anxiety that can let you get in touch with that wisdom. That understanding. Okay, and now what I invite you to do is to turn to uh, one or two people near you and uh, both witness another or others and uh, share for you. There's something about being witnessed and witnessing that gets you even more in touch with your uh, with your wisdom. We can take, oh, about um, oh, seven or eight minutes or so for that, and then we'll come back and explore it together. So turn to some people near you and Okay, let's come on back and thank your partner and come on back. So I want to hear from from you the strategies and, and uh, wise approaches that you have for holding your fear or working with your fear. Let's see, can you do it again? Thanks. It's on. Um, when, when, uh, I was the most afraid I got the best advice and then I got to use it right away. 
and it has helped me over the years. And the Rosa Parks quote uh, helped. Uh, I was about to come on stage uh, in front of, of 300, 400 people. I was an actor. I was very, very afraid. And I walked out, and I said my first line. And Stella Adler, this acting teacher, stopped me and said, stop. Do you know why I'm stopping you? I said, no. She says, you, you, you're not really looking at the actress when you said the line. You were talking at her. Now go backstage. And I was just shaking. I was just shaking. And I said, okay, I've really blown it. I, I've really blown it. Um, and, she, and while I'm backstage, she says, I want to give you a little advice, everyone, about fear. And I was going, yeah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> you know, I, I was in the dark. Uh, in the back, and she said, whenever you're afraid or you're about to go on stage and you're afraid, put your hand on your stomach Mm. and say to yourself, okay, kid, I know you're afraid, but we're going to go do this anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has has helped me Mm. Uh, and thanks to you tonight, I forgot about that wise mm. voice. Mm. That was hers, and I used that. Mm. Acknowledging mm. I was afraid and that I was going to go and do it anyway. Uh-huh. I had committed to doing it. Mm. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and also just putting your hand on your, on your body, there's something uh, soothing, comforting. It releases oxytocin. It stimulates the vagus nerve. It calms us down. It soothes us. And when you're holding your fear like that, it's like you're honoring it, but it's not, it's not running the show. As I, I've said with fear, I put it, I take it out of the driver's seat, put it in the passenger seat, put a seatbelt around it, put a helmet around it if it needs... Yes, we're not going to throw you out of the car. We'll take care of you, but you don't run the show. And waiting for wisdom to run the show. And just, that's exactly, it's okay, okay, kid. It's okay, and we're going to do it anyway. Beautiful. And you wouldn't have gotten in touch with that if you hadn't walked off the stage, or if she hadn't told you. Yeah, right. What else? Yes. Here, Jackie. Thanks. Um, well, it really helps me to um, think about this too shall change. Just understanding that nothing's going to stay in the same way that it is now. It's going to change. So this state is impermanent. Okay, excellent. And that philosophy from Buddhism has been very, very helpful to the me. The way things are, the Buddha the said. Years. It's mm-hmm. never going to be like this. Mm-hmm. That's what the Buddha said, one ongoing reflection. If there's anything to have a continuous reflection, impermanence. No matter how good it gets, it'll change. No matter how difficult it is, it'll change. And you can be here for the ride rather than thinking you're supposed to arrive someplace. Great. Um, and then just um, what's really helped me during very tumultuous times in my life when I had a lot of fear around upheaval was um, meditating. Meditating. Just being very still. Okay. Getting very still and being in that stillness. And even though I, I felt 
almost like I was inside like the vortex of a tornado. Mm -hmm. I had this stillness Mm -hmm. and it just gave me so much strength Mm -hmm. that it's allowed me to go through a lot of um, upheaval in my life and still have that stability. Yes. So that's one of the things about meditation to access that place that's home. Mm -hmm. And even in the midst of the storm, you you know that it's that it's there. Thank you. Anybody else? We we have to finish in a moment. Any other that hasn't been named as far as gifts and fear and working with it. Okay, naming your fear. Just naming it, like, like you're, uh, like you were saying. Just naming it. There's something about. Uh, it's like in in mythology when the when the hero or the heroine figured out the name of the monster or the demon. When you name it, oh, this is fear, or this is terror, or this is just naming it. You are taking away its power. So that's another aspect of the meditation, to hold it, oh, this is fear, and to hold yourself with it as well, and to see that opening up to it, there's tremendous possibilities and potential here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chinese saying, in the mouth of the dragon are many jewels. This is, uh, we'll just close with this um, poem from Jennifer Wellwood, Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed in its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So, a very short loving kindness. On this Halloween night, with all the excitement and thrills outside, to know there's a place of stillness right inside. May I find courage in the midst of my fears. May I connect with the love inside, right in the midst of my confusion. May I share my goodness with all beings and fully awaken. 
And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everyone, everywhere. And may all beings see through their fears and wake up to their true nature. Happy Halloween. (laughs) See ya in a while. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.